Welcome to the Social Housing Podcast from Voicecape, the only podcast dedicated to helping social landlords build sustainable tenancies. During this series of podcasts, we'll be speaking to leaders from the social housing sector and beyond, hopefully challenging the status quo a little bit, and also stimulating discussion around how technology can be better utilised to help build sustainable tenancies. I'm your host, John Doyle, the Chief Exec and Founder of VoiceGate. And I think, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not a sector that doesn't sort of hold our hands up and say, actually, we've got it wrong. And sometimes we get it wrong and customers do, you know, uh, complain and customers get access to chief execs and directors and, and board members and rightly so, they you know, would raise issues that, that need uh, resolving, you know, we're not, we're not blameless in that, in that, you know, it's, it's a learning opportunity as well. And that we can't think that, you know, we're perfect for one minute and I don't think anyone in the sector does, but we do learn from the opportunities. Uh, people have a right to complain and, and we learn from that. And, and things like going back to the shop floor and, and working and talking with frontline colleagues as well about some of the some of the issues they face and some of the reasons why they can't necessarily uh, resolve some of not empowered to. So I think we're all working to towards creating that environment where we can make those decisions uh, on the front line and we can. And I, I think for me would be also. The opposite to that is also using the data that we receive as well and, and looking at that data and what's it telling us or what are the trends you know that we're seeing that, that's emanating from that data really so i think you know there's a number of things that we're, we're constantly learning with and we're constantly uh, trying to balance and, and manage that ongoing challenge really hi and welcome to this episode of the social housing podcast i'm lewis murray and today i'm speaking with russell thompson managing director of places management at places for people as well as that, Russell is Chair of the Direct Works, on the board of a procurement consortium, Fellow of the Chartered Institute of Building, sits on the York Hub Committee as a Vice Chair, mostly focused on delivering property, asset management and compliance. So let's get to it. Please welcome Russell Thompson. So hi Russell, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, just for the audience's knowledge, um, we've been talking for a little while now, and I've been really keen to get you on the podcast as you've got quite the storied career and you're heavily involved in the sector across a number of appointments to various senior posts and board positions. So just to get us started, would you be able to tell us a bit about yourself, your background um, and what you're doing at the minute across your, your many positions? Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, um, I'm currently managing director of places management for places for people, uh, and my role really is, is to um, lead in terms of repairs and maintenance, gas and electrical work, and just generally uh, that maintenance delivery across all our stock in our affordable housing stock across uh, England and Scotland. Um, I'm I'm also the chair of the Direct Works, uh, which is a member organisation of about 130. Uh, housing association local authorities covering about probably managing and covering about two 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 and a half million properties and i've been doing that for about the last 18 months yeah as you said earlier i'm also a board member on a uh, procurement consortium which is really interesting to understand the market at the moment as well so that's that's really paints a dividend in trying to understand in terms of contractors supplies materials etc uh, i'm also vice chair of a of a, uh, a hub committee for the chat new city building I'm currently a fellow and vice chair of that, so yeah, I'm, I'm part of that sort of sounding board for the chat newship as well. 
uh, and I also sit on the national uh, national group for the National Housing Federation, which is the quality of existing homes, which again is a sounding board for NHF in terms of technical uh, matters on uh, existing homes and asset management. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, I suppose the place that we wanted to start with this episode of the podcast, um, we've seen quite a lot over recent weeks and months um, a lot of the negative reporting on social housing in the media given your experience and your current posts and positions do you think we have a pandemic of disrepair and i suppose to to that point what are your thoughts on the number of tv programs recently criticizing the sector on the state of repair and the prevalence of disrepair claims um which which we believe are only going to increase yeah i think in terms of the tv programs i, I don't don't want to comment, um, you know, specifically on those individual organisations because I think there's, there's been enough said about that, and it wouldn't be appropriate for me to do so. Is for a pandemic. Um, I think it can make you feel like there's a pandemic, but I think something I'll probably mention or a word I'll use throughout probably this this discussion really is around having a balance on things, uh, and in terms of, of what that balance is around, is a real disrepair. Is it the fact that. Um, you know, we are maintaining our properties. And I think the balance is, is that in general, we are maintaining properties. There are going to be pockets and sometimes those pockets get picked up. I think we've probably seen it's more prevalent now as we're coming out of lockdown and the fact that we've had an increasing demand of repairs. And I think that, um, I think it is it is for us in terms of a sector, it's difficult to stomach when you see things like that because it, it's undefendable and I think people have, have made that point. But I think there's lots of good stuff that we do within the sector. There are lots of examples where we're investing in properties, we're investing in place across the whole of the sector. And, you know, we're delivering delivering repairs to a significant number of properties and day in, day out, 24-7, 365 of the year. I don't personally think there's a pandemic, but there is... I think, I think at the moment there's an opportunity that's probably being exploited and in, and in some cases, you know, it's absolutely justified. But I think in, in other cases, I think the, there is an opportunity there for people to probably drive a, you know, drive a, a wedge into and, and, and create, I think, an environment where uh, there's some real pressure and challenge on the sector. And I know there's a national group that's been pulling, to, that's been pulled together that are looking at disrepair and really about looking at the trends. And, and the issues around why these why these uh, particular things are occurring. But I think like any business, really, I think you're relying on people, systems and processes. And I think sometimes, you know, those people, systems and processes don't always work. And as a result of that, sometimes you fall foul of that. And I think sometimes the result is, is that people will, yes, possibly look at a situation and realise that they're not actually been uh, either getting the service, getting the repairs completed, etc. So, yeah, I mean, there's every justification then to raise raise those issues. But I, I personally don't think there's a pandemic. I think it's just a case that yeah, these things are being raised. There's there's more demand on our services, and and I think people um, may be uh, possibly being exploited because where there's a blame, there's a claim, uh, and unfortunately, we end up spending money to defend that position. But again, I wouldn't I wouldn't for one minute think that if there's a real claim there that you know. Most organisations, if not all, would respond accordingly. Yeah, absolutely, and and that, that was something that that I think's a it's a real challenge, isn't it? Because there's a there's a balance there, isn't there? On on the one hand, as you rightly point out, you, you're not going to dispute where there's where there's a genuine claim and somebody's faced a real genuine hardship as a result of disrepair. Then you can understand that, but at the same time, you know how many how many instances are are people sort of being led to you know to raise a claim where 
you know, maybe having a conversation with with their landlord first and trying to resolve the situation uh, would would probably be the the best course of action. And of course, that takes less out of the budgets to to resolve to resolve some of those challenges in the first place. Takes it out of you know the the challenge takes it out of the repair budget. So it's a bit of a a, a negative cycle in that way. Yeah, I mean, we've we've got a we've got a budget there to work with, and uh, and we're trying to obviously use that budget wisely, I guess, in terms of of how we, uh, I guess, mobilise repairs and and the properties that we, we repair. So no, you're absolutely right. I think ultimately, no 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 housing associated local authority is is trying to avoid that situation. I think it is around a combination of things that sometimes don't necessarily click or don't work, and then we fall foul of those situations. Yeah. And is there a is there a, a sort of positive side to this story as well? Because um, when when you're closer to the sector, you know, obviously some of the, the programs they're, they're very generic, and I think they're they're for a mass mass market consumption to see what's going on, you know, from the outside looking in. It, it, when you're closer to the sector, I think I actually see a lot of very good, very high quality homes being delivered for residents. Um, is is the are there as many positive stories or are there more positive stories than, than some of these negative stories that are going on? No, absolutely. There are lots of positive stories that's going on. I think we'd probably see that on a, uh, on a week by week basis across the sector, really. And I know when I network with colleagues and, you know, you can see in the housing press, et cetera, where there are some great examples where people are doing some fantastic work. And I think, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not a sector that doesn't sort of hold our hands up and say, actually, we've got it wrong. And sometimes we get it wrong and customers do, you know, uh, complain and customers get access to chief execs and directors and, and board members. And rightly so, they you know, would raise issues that, that need uh, resolving. You know, we're not, we're not blameless in that, in that, you know, it's, it's a learning opportunity as well. And that we, we can't think that, you know, we're perfect for one minute. And I don't think anyone in the sector does, but we do learn from the opportunities. Uh, people have a right to complain and, and we learn from that. And, and things like going back to the shop floor and, and working and talking with frontline colleagues as well about some of the some of the issues they face and some of the reasons why they can't necessarily uh, resolve some of not empowered to. So I think we're all working to towards creating that environment where we can make those decisions uh, on the front line, and we can. And I, I think for me would be also. The opposite to that is also using the data to receive as well and, and looking at that data and what's it telling us or what are the trends you know that we're seeing and that's emanating from that data really so i think you know there's a number of things that we're, we're constantly learning with and we're constantly uh, trying to balance and, and manage that ongoing challenge really but i think really sort of summarizing these yes there are pockets but we're managing through that uh, and we deal with complaints uh, we deal with issues that that, uh, that get raised but ultimately, some really, really positive stories around some fantastic investment, uh, building new homes, and, and I think that the way we're, uh, you know, we approach that, uh, and the way that we continually invest in our existing stock, I think is, you know, is at good levels, and we've seen a, you know, we've seen a, a really good uh, positive story throughout the years. I think even from going back to two thousand, when decent homes came into being, and we've seen, we've seen some real advancement in terms of the quality of homes. Brilliant, and and um. Picking up on the fact that you mentioned there about um, use of data, I am really interested to get your take on technology, um, specifically in how do we speed up the implementation of technology to tackle issues around things like, you know, the fabric first approach to energy efficiency or condensation, for instance, you know, um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of, couple of thoughts, really, in terms of the, the term technology. I think one is this technology out there that's 
obviously feeding backwards in terms of, uh, I guess, humidity levels, how people live in the home, are they using the heating, you know, think about fuel poverty. And then there's the technology about the new products that are out there that a lot have been tried and tested in terms of meeting that that fabric first. So I think, you know, there's a number of different fronts. I think obviously gathering the data first to tell us how, how, the, how people are living within their homes, how the home is responding, how it's been heated, et cetera, I think gives you all that source data that you need really to make informed decisions. And then I think in terms of uh, we're seeing this approach now about fabric first, about what are the products or the or the technological products that people are using to to actually tackle that that fabric first and that you know getting that insulation right and that continuity of insulation and air tightness that that we're sort of craving for in terms of that zero carbon journey. That's that's a particularly pertinent one at the minute, isn't it? I think you you must have seen in the news over the past couple of days the. Uh, the, the government have announced some fairly significant plans for reducing the, the national carbon emissions and uh, I noticed they were looking to ban the use of, of gas boilers by 2035, I think was the was the date that they've put on that. Um, with, with all that going on and, you know, obviously the work that you're already doing, how likely is it that we can achieve a net zero uh, or zero carbon emissions and you know, how realistic is it that those net zero and zero carbon activities will help us to achieve homes that are suitable for living in? You know, how do, how do we bridge the gap between the vision of zero carbon homes and, and and the capital investment required to achieve it? Yeah, I don't think zero carbon is a, is a new thing to us, as you rightly say, and the fact we've got this target at 2050. And I think we're all, I think as a sector, we're coming to grips with a challenge, I think, in terms of that's in front of us, in terms of what is it? What is it we need to do and two, how we're going to fund that work and take it forward. So I think we're in a discovery phase, I would say, this moment in time. I think we're all pretty much uh, aligned to the Fabric First approach and the NHF um, presented a report yesterday, I believe, in terms of, of that approach. Um, so I think that people already start to formulate that that is the right way to go. I think, I think within the sector, people and organisations are at different places this moment in time. Um, I think there's there's this saying around, um, you know, sh- should you move with the technologies, beta max versus VHS thing, and for those that you know can remember that, there's this kind of approach going on, and, and should we break into the technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think I think you've got to, I think for the sector we've got to have a, we've got a realistic plan around, say, fabric first about insulation. There's probably a six point plan around continuity, air tightness, ventilation, new, you know, new technology, then generation. So there is a good plan around that. You know, this has already been. This has already been tested in terms of uh, passive house and NFIT, uh, and NFIT standards. So there is, there is some tried and tested method around that. And I think it's just about um, organisation, the sector, formulating that plan. We know there are lots of groups, there's lots of discussion. I think in terms of financing it, I think that's, a re- again, a real challenge. Uh, and I think some of that challenge is around, I guess, the our current investment plans uh, and have provided more of a holistic approach to our overall investment and uh, what's the funding of that holistic approach. Um, and I think I think going forward is is our current thirty year business plan is that the right proxy? Should it? You know, a lot of our stock will last for a lot longer than thirty years, and should we be investing over and borrowing over and paying up like over a longer period? So I think there's lots of things to take into consideration. I think it's an interesting one around the gas boilers for new homes. It is twenty twenty five, but I think then the, the dichotomy then is about if they don't de- um, you know decarbonize the the grid then. Taking gas away and going to electric is going to be difficult, given that the energy price difference between gas and electric, with obviously electric being far more expensive, is a difficult one. And I guess for a lot of uh, our customers at tenants in social housing, then, you know, it's going to be even more pressure on them in terms of their purse strings. So, you know, there has to be, and again, I said I'd use this word quite often, there has to be a balance around 
One is about when we invest, uh, how we invest in terms of zero carbon, and I guess understanding the impact of that on our customers, I guess, and, and obviously on the environment itself. So I, I don't think we're clear, fully clear in terms of, of where we're going to be. I think, you know, it's a, it's that discovery phase, and I think we're working through that discovery phase, but I think over the next probably couple of years, we'll get to, get to see a far better indication about what that future strategy and plan will be um, as we work through it. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I'd noticed as well. You know, the 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 desire to move people to things like heat pumps. It's like, well, that's all well and good, but heat pumps are very expensive to run. So there's there's still a challenge around that when when we're talking about you know tenants who might might already be struggling to pay their rent with 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 regular sort of uh, gas prices. Although of course we've also seen recently in the news gas prices going up. So there's there's lots of lots of challenges there to overcome. And and from our previous conversations, um, you, you've mentioned you know quite a few of the competing priorities in home building. How does the sector deal with some of these competing forces? So you know the need to build new homes. You know how, how do you deal with the the housing shortage, um, renovating old stock, achieving some of the government's net zero and zero carbon targets. How, how do you cope with that? That's, that's a lot to, to, to try and balance. Yeah, well, I think it's managing those conflicting priorities, really, to a degree, because, um, yes, you've got to build new homes. Yes, you've got to keep investing in your existing stock. Yes, you've got to keep repairing it. Uh, and, yes, you've got, you've got you know, people, our customers and tenants who are also have also got competing demands as well. And, and I guess it's about, it's about having that balance, again, about across the whole piece, really. And I think that's what we're all... We're all trying to do. That's the challenge too. It's about how we can how we can deliver the best with what we've got. I think, uh, for want of a better terminology, I think that's exactly what it is. Uh, and I think generally we, we get it right. But I think if you think back about six years ago, we had the um, in two thousand fifteen we had the rent reduction, which obviously impacted on ourselves and the sector, and it makes you refocus. And I think that's what we're doing. And I think it's very unusual now to, for people, maybe organisations to have maybe a, a three or a five year plan because it's constantly changing. It's constantly reflecting the, the priorities and who could have predicted, you know, COVID two years ago, well, nearly two years ago, who could have predicted that and how we were going to respond to it and, you know, um, the fact of going into lockdown, etc., and and Brexit and the outputs from Brexit and the fact that we're seeing now this sort of perfect storm around demand increase in material prices, you know, recruitment, the lack of people available, trades, and material supplies out there, you know, they're stuck in a big tanker in, you know, on a, um, out there in, you know, in the sea somewhere. So, I mean, it, there's all those things that, that build up and, and I think it's constant reflection on the business. Uh, I guess what we're trying to, you know, in terms of the impact on the business, what we're trying to deliver. And I think in trying to create that balance of, of meeting all those agendas and, and, and yeah, sometimes it's very difficult. It's very difficult to manage that uh, because you, you're constantly uh, having to readjust plans, readjust how you deliver the services, you know, in terms of making sure that the customer is, is getting the right level of services versus, you know, what's there for us to be able to deliver, you know, vis-a-vis in terms of budgets uh, and some of the external factors that we're trying to manage, which are out of our control. So it's, it's difficult actually trying to find that sort of, um, I guess, that sweet spot. Uh, I think that's what we're all trying to get to, but it's difficult. So it's just managing uh, managing the conflicting priorities, keep keep a balanced view around things, uh, and and to keep and to keep obviously delivering cus- uh, services to customers to ensure that you know we're fulfilling our, our landlord abiga- obligations really. Yeah, and what's your experience of dealing with you know 
government who apparently, you know, because I appreciate you're you're there trying to balance everything out. The government have a, a real prioritization around new stock. What's been your experience of, of trying to manage those expectations whilst aligning with your own kind of budgets and focus for, for existing tenants and existing stock? Yeah, I think I think we know the government are pushing, you know, new homes and, and development and rightly so, there's obviously a shortage and, and we need to do that. And again, um, I think from any organisation that, that I probably work with uh, and in terms of, you know, people I've spoken to, again, he's, he's driving that balance of being able to deliver new homes. But at the same time, I think, you know, um, invest in the asset, keep the asset in, in good condition, ensure that customers are getting the services um, that they should be getting. And, and I think ultimately it's protecting the asset that we've borrowed on uh, over that time to obviously enable us to, to build new homes as well. So I think... I think obviously because there's a government drive around new homes and that's understandable, we get that, um, then there's always going to be that sort of um, prioritisation within an organisation and about where you're spending it, why you're spending it. And I think it would be it would be remiss of any organisation not to, uh, I think, constantly re- readdress in terms of how they're spending, where they're spending, um, where they're actually using the, the funding that they've got, uh, and I guess to maximise their outputs, really. So I think this is a continuum. It's not something you just stop and start doing and to think about, oh, we ought to do that one day. I think it's, it's about uh, finding that balance between building new and investing in the existing stock as well and investing in the right areas. And, you know, this is, I guess, the challenge at the moment is that you talked about decarbonisation earlier on and, uh, and is there a, an opportunity to re- readdress the properties we, we can we can get to net zero and those that we can't. And I think that's something maybe we've put off as a sector because it will lead to disposals and we need to do that in an ethical way. We need to make sure that we, you know, that we, we're clear uh, across, the, um, across the country that what we're actually doing is creating another problem, an unintended consequence of actually wanting to get rid of properties because we can't decarbonise them or what we're going to do with them. So who does that problem sit with? So there's not always a clear answer to some of this at times. It is a bit of a balancing act and working through the issues and, again, trying to get the right output. So is there a, because obviously talking about the essentially the, the life cycle of a, of a property there, um, from from new build through to it being, you know, no longer economically viable to 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 bring it forward into a kind of net net zero uh, condition. Is there an economic life cycle to a property, or is it again, you know, one of those things that you you've got to look at on a case by case basis? Yeah, absolutely. I think most organisations are constantly reviewing the viability of their stock. Uh, and uh, thinking around what is the investment that needs to be made, and, and is that you know is that is that um, uh, investment viable and, and should be looking to dispose dispose of? And I think that many organisations have decided to dispose of, of properties and and recognise that fact. Um, and yeah, I think I think there is um, there is an issue around that. As I said, there's unintended consequences of releasing stock, and, and where does that go? Uh, there was a bit of work done a few years ago, actually, around talking about how can we do that in an ethical way, because the last thing we want to do is dispose of properties and, you know, uh, I, I guess other landlords, and I don't mean in terms of uh, the sector landlords, but maybe other landlords are maybe not actually contributing to contributing how they should in terms of that property being managed properly and, you know, creating the right environment alongside maybe properties that we already own. So uh, I'll probably probably dodge around that a bit, so apologies. But what I'm trying to say is we don't really want scrupulous landlords picking up properties and then, you know, creating more of an issue, really. 
Uh, so I think that's a concern for us as a sector. But I, I think overall, um, I think it, it is, It is again, and I, I know I've used that word too much already, but it is about trying to find that balance around what you feel you can invest in, what you can't. And, so, and some properties that, that you know, um, isn't just about the investment. Sometimes it's around the environment that they're in. Uh, and is it more about investing in the place and the environment itself around the property? And it's fine sometimes just replacing kitchens and bathrooms because that's what we've had a, a legacy of. But actually, if you can't get people to go over the threshold, you know, is is that a, is that a reason to let the property go? So I think there has to be that that balance of view around the fact that is it the physical environment, is it the property, um, and I think just taking that that, that um, view around what exactly it is and, and is an opportunity actually to do something different with that property. And, and does that shape your strategy for, for managing homes going forward? So if, if you're now thinking of the of the recent introductions of some of these kind of green initiatives that, as, as we've touched on, there's going to be some properties that just can't, it's not viable to bring them forward because historically there probably hasn't been some of those step changes that needed to happen along the way. Um is does this kind of reshift the focus to say actually there's there's some properties here that if we can do a little bit more with them we can probably extend that um, that kind of economic life cycle of of these properties. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, ideally it'd be great, wouldn't it, to knock knock, up, knock them all down and build new because that would you know that would give us a, another maybe problem solved if you like. Yeah, problem solved. So I mean, that would be the ideal answer. But obviously, economically, we can't do that. You know. So I think, yeah, I think it is a case of there are some properties that we're not going to get to where they need to be. I think that's an obvious thing. I think people are already identifying that now as part of their stock condition and the reports they're doing now on decarbonisation. But I think, as I said earlier on, really, it's not just a case of sort of booting them out the door and, you know, we'll give them to somebody else. I think it is about doing it in, in, in a proper way and about doing it ethically that if we understand that. But I guess what we're also doing is we're just pushing or kicking the can a bit further down the road because somebody's going to have to pick that up somewhere. And, and I think if you think about, was it about four and a half, five million um, social housing properties in the country. I think there's another there's another 29 million properties. I think the private owner occupiers that also need to be addressed in terms of decarbonisation. So I don't just think it's a, a sector problem for us. I think it's, uh, it's it's a national problem across home ownership as well about how we're actually all going to, I guess, meet that um, decarbonisation net zero approach. But I think from a, a sector perspective, yeah, we, what we can't do is we can't just let those unintended consequences push for, you know, be kicked down the road and for us not to have you know some ethical responsibility around that as well so i think we, we take that really serious and, and most people i speak to take it very serious in terms of it, it's great identifying but then you've got to do something about it so it's not it's not the answer just to say we're going to let them go and can i ask you about for those for those properties where you've got existing tenancies probably very long-standing tenancies um is is there a requirement for an approach to to engaging with the tenants to, to make them part of this journey to net zero and, and, and zero carbon um, and, and some of the other improvements that you'd want to make to to the existing assets, um, you know, so that I suppose people see the the benefit of you being involved in that process and the benefit of them being involved in that process as well. Have you got any thoughts around, you know, the, the best methods of engaging tenants and, and making them part of that journey? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's, it's what they call sort of a carbon literacy piece really about um, helping people to understand. And let's face it, not just our customers. I think all of us want to know more information and understand how it impacts and on our lives. You're absolutely right. And there are there are people in the sector who have already started to do work on that uh, and to think about how they can 
uh, involve customers part of that journey. And, and it's a natural process for me because um, if we don't if we don't do that, um, we've seen experience in the past where we may have fitted air source heat pumps and where people haven't necessarily given all the guidance or involved customers that what they find is really difficult to wear with new technology and the renewables. And as a consequence of that, people will tend to then form an opinion, as we all would, that actually it doesn't work or actually it's not providing the savings. So I think it's absolutely critical going forward that we develop, we've already got, I think most organisations have got um, good sort of uh, customer relationships and in terms of groups or voices, customer voices that they work with. Uh, probably on a, on a day-to-day or a weekly basis and, and obviously customer board members as well, they can work with, in terms of developing that approach, I think it's critical to move forward with the, with, with the net zero, um, absolutely. I think if we don't, then yeah, we're going we're gonna to introduce all these renewables. If we don't do that piece of work, I think people, people will, will find they're not able to use it, they don't understand it. So we're on a journey, again, it's a discovery phase. People are doing work already within the sector, some really, really good work about how they're working with customers, uh, I guess, to drive the agenda as well. And, and for everyone to get to some of that equal understanding really about what it is we're trying to do, why we're doing it, and what does it mean for them? What's the impact for them? Yeah. Brilliant. And, and the last question that I've got for you is um, in, in your role on the NatFed and your experience over the last 20 years, what, in your opinion, have been the greatest trends and successes that you've seen around asset management, um, house building and, and maintenance? Yes, good question, actually, to be fair. Yeah, I think I think. Um... One of the things I think is around decent homes. I think the introduction of decent homes, we knew, didn't we, before about 2000, about 19 billion pounds with a shortfall in terms of spend and investment. Uh, and I think that decent homes was a way of actually bringing, bringing that investment, uh, I guess, up to modern standards or at least seeing homes brought to modern standards. So I think that was a, a massive thing for us. I think the, uh, the use of technology has certainly uh, helped us to, in terms of understanding not just, I think, our customers' habits, but also in terms of the way that, the, that, our, that our homes are being used. And I think that um, it's helping us to understand in terms of um, some of those interventions we need to put in place. And I think the data uh, is also helping us in terms of, um, I guess, understanding trends and patterns. And we can use that then in terms of being more, I guess, proactive and preemptive about what it is we, we actually we actually need to, uh, we actually need to, to either implement or put an intervention in place. So I think that's really helping us um, going forward. Um, I think one of the other thing is we've developed a resilience, that's for sure. There's been lots of changes, I think, over the last 20 years. So I think we've definitely built, and I think it's important that, that we've built a real resilience around how we keep responding. You know, I go back to 2015 and the rate cut and how we had, to, you know, lots of businesses had to take significant amounts of efficiencies and savings um, out of their business plans. And I think that that's created a, a definite resilience around how we manage things going forward. I think when you think about it, the last two years around COVID as well, how, you know, how well as a sector, I think we've, we've coped with that and, and we've managed through, we've delivered, you know, lots of core services through that period, which is absolute testament to, you know, the sector and the people that work within it. I mean, it, it's, you know, significant to be fair. And I think our understanding around uh, managing uh, conflict and priorities, and I think working within uh, the numerous governments and, and I guess the ministers we have to work with in terms of trying to meet that agenda, their agendas and the government agenda as well. I think it's, it's um, I think they've been they've been a massive part of how we've learnt as a sector uh, to keep modernising, uh, manage those conflicting priorities, uh, and I think keep delivering services uh, to, to our customers and, and tenants. 
That's great. Thank you for that. And um, look, that's that's everything from uh, from me. So the only thing that's left to do is to say thanks also for joining on to the podcast today. It's uh, been really great to hear your input. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll get to speak to you soon. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Thank you.